Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown with three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown. You get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at Wilmington and beaches vacation.com. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Difficult to keep the line between the past and the present. Do you believe that someone out of the past can enter and take possession of a living being? We may be through with the past, but the past is not through with us. Welcome back to The Next Picture Show, a movie of the week podcast devoted to a classic film and the way it shaped our thoughts on a recent release. I'm Scott Tobias, here again with... Genevieve Kosky. And Tasha Robinson. Matt Singer is also back, of course, after a busy and productive week. Hello again, Matt. Hello. And uh, once again, Keith, not here, ducking me. Yeah. Wow, this is this is turning into a real uh, rivalry. This is there's something uh, something here. Some unfinished I, that's business. What I'm, that's exactly what I'm saying. There is something here. <laughs> if that's that something what I'm happens saying. to be a severed hand that looks like Keith's that's crawling around and attacking you, we had nothing to do with that. I just want that on the record. So on last week's episode, we talked about Army of Darkness, the final film in Sam Raimi's Evil Dead trilogy, and the first to get the backing of a major studio. Raimi has been working within the studio system for three decades since, with original projects like The Quick and the Dead and Drag Me to Hell, alongside blockbuster tentpoles like his Spider-Man trilogy with Tobey Maguire. But now, Raimi boards the MCU mothership with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, 28th film of the franchise and among its most eventful and stylistically distinctive. Benedict Cumberbatch returns as Doctor Strange, who has cast a spell that has cracked open the multiverse, spilling all sorts of apocalyptic threats from one alternate reality to another. One such threat, a giant space octopus, takes a particular interest in a teenage girl, America Chavez, played by Sochi Gomez. America's special power is that she has the ability to transport herself through the multiverse, She's basically the human version of the Spice in Dune, and she'll need to figure out how to harness that power to stop Wanda Maximoff, a.k.a. Scarlet Witch, the sorceress and sad mom played by Elizabeth Olsen. Characters from the first Doctor Strange return here, too, in various capacities, including Chiwetel Ejiofor as Carl Mordo, Benedict Wong as Wong, and Rachel McAdams as Christine Palmer. There's also a coveted text called The Darkhold, or The Book of the Damned. Hmm, sounds familiar. We'll talk about it after the break. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing. 
Now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. The nightmare begins. I did what I had to do to protect our world. You cannot control everything, Strange. You opened the doorway between universes, and we don't know who or what will walk through it. Wanda, what do you know about the multiverse? Viz had his theories. He believed it was dangerous. He was right. I'm sorry, Stephen. Your desecration of reality will not go unpunished. All right, so Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, the 28th film of the <laughs> MCU. Uh, where, where does it? Where where are we at? First tier, second tier, third tier. Uh, what did you all think of this movie, Matt? Again, you're a guest. Let's start with you. I don't know which. I don't know about the tier. I would put it in. I, I guess sort of the upper half. I suppose. I mean, I think it's generally pretty enjoyable as these things go. I mean, to me, the thing that I really enjoyed about it was, I mean, as we established on our previous episode, like I'm a huge Sam Raimi fan. And it, a lot of this movie did feel like a Sam Raimi movie to me. And that was the stuff that I really enjoyed was the moments where I could feel Sam Raimi uh, sort of taking the reins and really kind of using this Marvel milieu to do the kind of stuff that he likes. And that's mostly in the second half. Certainly, you mentioned the Darkhold, this, this, the Book of the Damned. You know, I sort of smiled when I went, oh, here's this, a, mo- a Sam Raimi movie about an evil book. And it's, you know, and then later on, you have Bruce Campbell showing up and his hands get possessed and start smacking himself in the face. And it's like, oh, this is, you know, I, we're in familiar territory here. There's a lot of stuff like that. And so I don't think uh, I will be watching this movie as many times as I have seen Army of Darkness, uh, for example. <laughs> I don't think I will come back to it that often. It did not give me that much pleasure, but you know, I I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed it certainly more than uh, a lot of the the other recent Marvel movies, which I've even as I am a huge uh, comic book dork, I have found some of the recent ones a little a little lacking, and I thought at least the the Raimi the Raimi esque touches in this one at least put it over the top for me. What about uh, you, uh, Genevieve? Yeah, I mean, I I guess I'm sort of uh, similarly qualified in in my enjoyment of it. I I, I will note that the first Doctor Strange is probably like bottom tier Marvel for me. I know uh, that is maybe different from some other people on this uh, podcast, but I'll I'll just put this out there. Well, I never saw the first Doctor Strange in the theater. I attempted to watch it at home three times and fell asleep (laughs) during (laughs) like somewhere around like the beginning of the second act all three times. So I I did finally knuckle down and watch it all in preparation for the second movie, which I will say at least I enjoyed more than the first Doctor Strange, although the extent to which that is attributable to like me seeing it like in the theater on big fake IMAX like I can't say 
but like like a lot of marvel movies i enjoyed it a lot in the in the moment like it's these are kind of like theme park ride movies i'm not the first person to make that comparison but like in the moment like yeah i i was having a lot of fun i came out of it you know feeling like yeah that was fun but then like the longer I thought about it and like try, like collected my thoughts and like what I might want to say about it, I was like, uh, well, mm, uh, <laughs> you know, like the especially everything uh, going on with Wanda and the storyline there. Like the longer I thought about it, the less well it it sat with me. Um, and we can perhaps get into that, you know, in more depth later. But to pivot off what Matt was saying, like I also f- like got the kind of the greatest moments of enjoyment, sort of like the loop-de-loops in the in the theme park ride when I did see those like uh, Raimi touches, you know, or like when I could recognize a specific vision poking out in there. The um, the eyeball octopus monster at, at the beginning, uh, you know, being sort of the obvious first jolt of that. Although like there's a little moment, right? I guess it's part of that scene, but like when Doctor Strange, he's at a wedding when this attack happens and has a, you know, sees what's happening he's like oh i have to you know fly into action and he downs his martini and then kind of just like falls over the uh the ledge and into his cape and now he's dr strange and it reminded me a lot kind of like the pizza moment in spider-man like just sort of this like little like grace note of like funny normal human uh moment within a hero moment you know that was when I was like, oh, yeah, I see Sam Raimi here. And then that went away for large <laughs> chunks of the movie. But, you know, again, I like I, f- I fell for so much in this, <laughs> like in the moment, like all the little cameos that, w- that we can, uh, I guess, get into, you know, the in an- another universe, we see all sorts of Marvel folk, uh, you know, and I'm cynical about that in the broad sense, but like in the moment I was like, you know, <laughs> so I don't know. Like I, I th- this happens to me a lot with these movies. So um, this is what we're talking about. Maybe with the turn your brain off movie. Tasha, how about you? I mean, I think that really about sums it up. I enjoyed the experience of watching this movie. I enjoyed the experience of being in the theater. I was in New York on a work trip with my my Polygon co-workers, meeting them for the first time in person. And we're a bunch of big nerds. And uh, I was sitting next to our comics editor, Susanna Polo, who's the biggest nerd. And just like experiencing that movie next to somebody who like knows every every character every cameo every every clue every hand every easter egg was fun and experiencing it in a full theater full of people who were really really invested you know who gasped at the gasp moments and uh, cheered at the cheer moments and like audibly the air left the room at the um the mid credit sequence when like a certain referential character shows up for the first time having never been in these movies that said, I have a ton of problems with this film, <laughs> but they're all, yeah, they're all either kind of intellectual problems or just kind of problems of, to some degree of character. Like, I think Stephen Strange is just kind of a version of Iron Man with a cloak. Like, his his thing, instead of being rich and having tech, is being powerful and having mm-hmm. magic. But he's the exact same kind of, like, you know, arrogant, pompous, it's okay for me, but not for you kind of guy who breaks all the rules and gets away with it. And I feel like the best usage of him was when he and Tony Stark came up against each other and, like, immediately hated each other in the, the crossover movies because they're such there's so much of a type together. And, like, of course, the most arrogant 
ass in the room doesn't like meeting the other most arrogant ass in the room. But when he's front and center as the protagonist, it's problematic. You know, when he's when we're expected to feel something, I guess, when he walks up to the woman that he just never quite had time or space or emotion for at her wedding to very stiffly tell her that he's sorry that it came to this because he just didn't make time for her. Like, completely writing off her choice, her her marriage, her love, and thinking only about himself and how none of this would have happened if, uh, you know, he had just behaved differently. It's just a powerful failure of empathy that makes me roll my eyes. But so much of this movie does care about how he feels about Christine and how he feels a loss around Christine. And there's an interesting parallel there that's sort of necessary because him feeling this loss and wanting things to play out differently parallels Wanda's feeling of loss and how she's willing to kill anybody who gets in her way for it. You know, he he's quote unquote the good guy and wouldn't stoop to such things, but he certainly feels the urge. That's an interesting aspect of this movie that I wish it had the breath to explore a little more. And, you know, instead it's doing like fun, cheer worthy stuff. Everything about the the multiverse alternate Avengers, I think, is is fun and exciting. And hey, it's that guy um, for, you know, us nerds. And it's just exciting to see a lot of this stuff. But I just don't think that Doctor Strange is a good movie protagonist. Mm -hmm. I don't think his emotions are interesting. I don't think his choices are interesting. And I think that what makes this movie a lot better than the first Doctor Strange is that there's so much going on that isn't him. There are so many characters that aren't him. This movie cares a little more about Christine as a person. It cares a lot about America as a person. It even cares about Wanda a little bit as a person. And the fact that it makes room for all of that stuff and like Stephen Strange and his arrogance and his issues just kind of keep getting sort of pushed off to the side, I think is the right choice. I do enjoy the Raimi of it all. I enjoy the the energy and the slapstick of this movie. I almost feel like if it wasn't just so Marvel, if it wasn't just so necessary for this to have the tone it has and deal with Stephen Strange the way it does, it probably would have been better to see him getting poked in the eyes by skeletons a few more times because <laughs> that dude deserves it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, though. It's like it, it, now that you mentioned that the, the, the arrogant part, I mean, not to not to immediately jump into connections here, but I think there's a certain amount of disappointment for me with the Doctor Strange character as, as he is in this movie, that he isn't more Bruce Campbell like that Raimi doesn't kind of get more comic mileage out of Doctor Strange, you know, in his in his arrogance in this movie. I think it's much more pronounced in the first movie which uh, again i think like a lot like everyone else i would put on a sort of a lower tier as far well, for as for some reason i thought you were a fan of the first uh, doctor it's strange in the middle. it's just kind uh, of was middling. it your huge doctor strange tattoo you have on your back <laughs> <laughs> and Is that just, why? Like, like, you know and it's it's also you know characters who could do magic and stuff it's just like the whole thing where they're kind of straining and their lights are going protruding from their face it's just like no that's to me that's never that compelling cinematically and then you've got another character in scarlet witch who does that sort of thing too and it's like give me the hand-to-hand combat you know give me the give me give me is it that they don't take advantage of the arrogance of dr strange or is it that 
Benedict Cumberbatch maybe doesn't I, have the, mm-hmm. the comedic oh, chops well, well, of, a, of a Bruce Campbell yeah, maybe to that's, take advantage of. Maybe that's of. it too. Maybe there was nothing to seize adva- an advantage on in terms of that. Because I, I mean, to me, that's there's a lot of comedy that could be mined from that. But there wasn't any, uh, uh, there was comedy mined in the first movie, and none of that happened. So. Uh, well, in hearing Tasha talk about him in relation to Tony Stark, like I, I think that really highlights the like the comedic charisma that Robert Downey Jr. Mm, brought yeah. that yeah. Benedict Cumberbatch either is incapable or uninterested in bringing to mm. to Stephen Strange. And like I feel in the in the first movie, it was maybe a little more understandable on a performance level because like that character is going through like a really traumatic experience even though it doesn't really seem to have a whole lot of (laughs) effect on him in that movie but i digress but here like by this point like he's a superhero like it just like we he should be leaning into the fun of it at this point in his tenure i guess as a mcu character and it kind of feels like Benedict Cumberbatch maybe does not want to be doing this. Uh, though he has, I, I screw, just he has screwed up horribly, though, right? I mean, yeah. he's made a horrible error, like a massive error. Like he's made huge, huge, bigger mistakes that should be sobering to him, right? Than than the other superheroes in terms of like, didn't he just open up the whole multiverse and then didn't he do something involving the stone? I guess wasn't there something involving a stone? <laughs> I'm trying well, here, that, guys. I'm all trying. Of that was, all Did that was Spider Man's fault. What are you oh talking about? Oh, my God, Scott. <laughs> yeah, you guys just want to see him like straining for like three minutes to pass a stone, which then turns into a monster <laughs> and attack him. I, I don't know where you're coming from here. I think that. Marvel has its own history to to maintain and has its own its archetypes to maintain here. And Doctor Strange's whole thing is kind of a stuffy, removed intellectual mm. arrogance. Like his whole thing is he's the master of the mystic arts. He's not uh, the, the master of hilarious slapstick. I don't think that this movie is missing much by not like giving him gags. And I also think Benedict Cumberbatch is funny. Like I, I think that the business that happens in Thor Ragnarok with between him and and Thor, where he's throwing Loki around through portals and just like zapping them all over his sanctum and and making beer appear in Thor's hands and just like treating him like a nincompoop. I, that whole sequence is hilarious. I I go back and rewatch it occasionally. I want to put this way more in Marvel's hands and in Raimi's hands than in Benedict Cumberbatch's hands, because I I don't think that there's any reason to believe that he's the one out there saying like, oh, no, Doctor Strange, noted purveyor of clown-like japes and comedy, needs to be very huffy and serious in my hands because it's important. I will say in his defense, after I was the one who, you know, threw him under the the bus to start all of this, uh, like the end of the movie, you do sort of see that more outrageous side come through you know like when he's i don't know i guess we can just spoil this oh yeah uh, at this point yeah yeah Yeah. Uh, that you know at the end of the movie when he's playing a zombie version of himself and giving a pep talk to (laughs) just even just saying it makes me laugh the idea (laughs) the, the sheer lunacy of this scene like the big emotional moment of this movie is a zombie Doctor Strange sort of giving a pep talk to a teenager that, you know, like, you can do it kind of a thing. Like, he really kind of plays that part to the hilt. And I thought he was really sort of, he was going for it there. Um, so, you know, I, he has, I mean, maybe he does have it have it in him, but um, maybe maybe it is just the, the deficiencies of the character or just the limitations, I should say, of the character 
because as Tasha says, yeah, he's not exactly, you know, he's not a the funniest Marvel uh, superhero canonically. Yeah. And I did find him more enjoyable to follow, as everyone else has said. Like, the first movie is also not one of my, you know, that really is one of my less favorite um, Marvel movies. And a lot of it is sort of exactly what Tasha was saying, that he just really does feel like kind of like an Iron Man light in that movie with with magic stuff. And in here, there is so there is so much other uh, there's other characters, other storylines. There's all the fun with all the other cameos that there is enough other stuff around him that him playing sort of the the straight man kind of works just because there's so much uh, there's a multiverse of madness, <laughs> if you will, swirling around him throughout the movie. It's a wonder. It's the best title of any Marvel movie for sure. Uh, I, I would give it that. I mean, my, as somebody my... who's been trying to figure out how to manage headlines that have that entire title in them, I disagree. Shorter <laughs> titles. Uh, yeah, not no. SEO friendly. It's the it's the melancholy and the infinite sadness of Marvel movies. <laughs> um, so I, you know, one of the things to me because I'm again I'm, I'm very director focused. Yeah, which of course makes Marvel just the enemy for me even though i i like most of the most of their movies is is just i'm i'm fascinated by the relationship between a director and a director's vision and the machine you know and, and, and to me those two things kind of run into conflict here in a way that's it's kind of re refreshing and exciting and, and also limiting too i mean because you do have these moments which are my favorite moments of the movie particularly in the second half where it does kind of become a sam raimi movie where, where, where a lot of that mythological baggage where a lot of the template for what needs to to happen to keep this machine running is sort of left behind and Raimi is a little bit more freed up to do the kind of crazy stuff he likes to do with the zombie and the weird cape with all the, what, ghosts on it or something. It's got, it feels free. It feels liberated. It feels very much distinctively him. Like, like the first time you could actually look at a Marvel film and, and identify it by the director. I don't think there's any other Marvel film that you could do that with. But I don't necessarily think that's, that, that jives with... That doesn't necessarily help make a successful Marvel movie in a way because because you have this expectation set for how they're supposed to operate and you can feel the different elements in this movie kind of in conflict with each other and I mean, you know and, and certain things just not connecting at all. I mean, we haven't talked really much about the Wanda Maximoff slash Scarlet Witch part of that, but I just none of that worked for me at all. You know, and I, and I didn't feel like I didn't feel like the film uh, on a filmmaking level, there was a whole lot of engagement in it. And it just seemed like, OK, this is something that has to be in the movie because because this is what this is what we're doing. We're, we're having this. This is the reason why some this movie is happening. And it felt like Raimi disappeared during all that that stuff. And we just had to deal with it. And it was just this is what it was. I don't know. What do you all think? I want you to underline what exactly about it didn't work for you, Scott, because there are a lot of criticisms being weighed at, you know, Wanda turning into a villain and Wanda's specific choices and Wanda's motivations. And there are arguments sort of for and against. But I, I think to have this conversation, we need to know, like, specifically oh. what about it didn't work. It just seems so trite. I mean, like, 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 like all this connections that she has with these children 
as being this motivation that she has to completely destroy and upend uh, everything, which I guess is part of WandaVision as well. It's so psychologically narrow. I did not feel like this was a, a particularly rich character motivation-wise, I would say. Is it because you have any like attachment to or feeling about how who that character was or who she should be? Or you just think, like as a villain, the fact that she wants her, her fake kids back is just thin? To me, I mean, I guess it, it kind of echoes WandaVision, which I think is a pretty successful show. That felt to me like a, a, you know, the world of that show is sort of a manifestation of the same types of feelings. And it works so well in that for the most part i guess in that show it whereas here the, the you know the chaos that is unleashed by it i don't know it just it seems like it seems too much while also being kind of a r- repeat of what we had just seen on the tv show yeah i think that repeat factor is what really bothered me and but more in terms of elizabeth olsen's performance because like i i liked her in wandavision like especially like the earlier episodes i think she gives a really fun performance but then at the end of that show which for the record i kind of hated <laughs> like it oh, the, she the, the whole thing the, start to start to finish no no just the end like okay. I, like I, di- I didn't like how it where it went in the end sure. just basically as it was subsumed into the marvel machine and it stopped being about tv which is what i wanted it to be about yes um, yes but so like once wanda shifts into that mode and has like this all-consuming motivation she's just just evil you know like what kind of one note you know mad woman and there's like it loses a lot of texture to that character and that performance in this movie and like like when considered alongside wandavision like as a whole okay yeah maybe like there's uh, an interesting arc there but like within the context of this movie it just felt it became trite as as scott put it to me just like okay sad mom as, as you put it in the <laughs> intro <laughs> I think the problem there is like I I've just finished writing a big piece about this that like as we're recording it, it's going up on Polygon tomorrow. By the time people hear this, it'll have been up for like two weeks and everyone on the Internet will have had their chance to yell at me and tell me I'm dumb. But I mean, I walked out of this movie thinking, well, this makes WandaVision a much better story. I like the playfulness of like the early parts of WandaVision. And then it just kind of feels like it it breaks down. You know, it it loses focus to bring in all of these other Marvel elements. And then the, in the end, it kind of walks away from the story without telling you who Wanda is, like what what she's become, what she feels about everything she's been through besides sad. And it turns out with uh, with multiverse, you find out that the reason all of that was being withheld at the time was because this is a single contiguous story. And they didn't want to give away the fact that, uh, by the way, she's a villain, which Judging from what I've seen online, people definitely did not go into the story knowing that there was just a big question about who's going to be the bad guy. Wow! Really, I thought that that was like made very clear by the fine, like the post-credit scene of Wandavision. (laughs) I know. I I don't think so. It seems like a lot of. I mean, it's funny, like uh, hearing you guys say that that you, you know, or Tasha saying it enhances that show for for her, like. A lot of people I've spoken to have like the opposite where they feel like it's they were shocked that she was the villain and it's a betrayal of Wanda and a betrayal of WandaVision, all all these sorts of things. Yeah, those people. That's not how I feel. That is how I like when I've talked to people about it. I have heard that complaint from a number of people. Those people need to go back and watch the last episode because I did and I was surprised 
many times by stuff that happens at the the end where like I'd remembered some of the big beats like what she does to Agatha Harkness, which is horrifying. And the sequence where she does it is also horrifying because Agnes is literally begging her for mercy, like begging her not to do what she's going to uh, about to do. And she smiles and says, sorry, and, and does it anyway. Like she is sadistic to her. And the fact that Agatha Harkness is a manipulative villain, like doesn't make a difference. If you're a hero, you don't torture people and you specifically don't torture people because it's convenient or fun for you. So like that didn't make a whole lot of sense. Her the revelation that she had like tortured everybody in Westview for days, maybe longer. And she knew that they were literally in pain and she didn't care. Like that's hard to reconcile with a character that we spend so much time in that show including in the finale, feeling for her, her deep, passionate emotions, her, her sadness and her sense of loss. But when you realize that she walks out of WandaVision, basically having decided that other people's emotions don't matter and that she only cares about serving herself, it makes the story make more sense. And it sets up Doctor Strange to, in a way that helps fill in some of the gaps of her being, yes, a very one note character in this movie, basically just an implacable force, much more than like a nuanced or interesting person. I will say, you know, as much as I think the complaints that she is, that her motivations are very simple, are valid. I mean, one thing I liked about her as the villain of this movie was it was a a Marvel movie that felt very big and had you know, and had a lot of stakes and and all that sort of thing. But it didn't end in the usual Marvel way of having, you know, a blue laser beam in the sky and an alien invasion and the heroes have to stop the end of the universe. Like the villain is this woman who wants this one thing and she just is trying to get it the whole movie. And, you know, we don't have some of those formulaic Marvel movie beats in the ending. And I found that at least a little refreshing. I think the, the the problem that I had with Wanda being the villain was that, you know, after WandaVision, which I, I still think is probably the best of all these Marvel Disney Plus shows, it felt very strange to have this movie be not all about Wanda, but have her be so important to it and not have the vision at least yeah. somehow involved. Like, is he even this. mentioned? He's never, I mean, he's, he's, he is mentioned, but only like sort of in glancing moments that don't really involve the story or what Wanda is up to now. And it just felt very, I don't want to say strange, but it felt very strange <laughs> to have Wanda be so central to the arc of this, this movie and not have Vision even really addressed or involved. And, and the more I've thought about that, the more I've realized they sort of put themselves in this weird place where the movie doesn't work with Vision in it and it doesn't quite fully work with him not in it. Like when he's not in it here, I'm going, why isn't Vision showing up here? Why isn't somebody mentioning him? Why doesn't somebody go look for the guy? You know, there's that all white Vision hanging white out. White Vision, the, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's off somewhere. And he seemed like at the end of WandaVision, he at least got some of his memories back like, why doesn't Doctor Strange go and recruit him to help them? Why doesn't, you know, why isn't there a vision in any of those other universes they visit? Like, 
he's like this weird absence in the movie. And the more I thought about like why, and there could be practical reasons, like Paul Bettany was like, I don't feel like doing another one of these, or he <laughs> asked for too much. I'm not under contract for it. Right, or I, uh, he wanted too much money, but like on a story level. Or they've already level, written the, they've already written the story that he's, maybe, that's going right. to be White Vision. But on well, a story level, it's like if he shows up, I have a hard time imagining the Wanda character being as single-mindedly evil and going all the way through this whole plan that they've engineered for in this movie. It's hard to imagine all of it working. And so they've, they've sort of engineered this space where there was this huge relationship between these two characters that sort of motivated all of the, the things that happened prior to Wanda. But then one of those two characters is just not in this movie. And it's it feels like this huge kind of absence to me. And instead, she's sort of fixated on the, on the children who, sure, that was a part of WandaVision. But like the whole point of WandaVision was not about her missing her kids. The kids didn't even exist at that point. Mm-hmm. It was about her being grieving the loss of, of vision. And so that to me was like, you know, like there there is there's some interesting aspects of this very long form Marvel storytelling in Doctor Strange, because you have to sort of follow this character from one movie to the next movie to the TV show back to this back to this movie. And that's kind of interesting. If you're really like paying attention and you care, it's sort of fun to see all see this character evolve in this, at least to me, surprising way. But on the flip side, you get into all of these sort of logistical issues where it's like, well, really, Vision should have some kind of a role here. And the fact that he's not, for some reason or another, I think is a, is kind of a problem. OK, I got to stick one or into all of that. And that's it makes perfect sense that it does not occur to Stephen Strange to like go fetch up Vision and have him get involved because Strange's whole thing, as Christine says repeatedly in kind of the, you know, one of the movie's recurring lines, he's the one that has to hold the knife. Like he's the one that believes he's the solution to all of the problems. I think it's kind of interesting that even though Wong is now the Sorcerer Supreme, Stephen is still the spokesperson. He's still the person that goes to negotiate with Wanda. He's still the person who stands up front whenever anything is going on, while Wong kind of like hangs back in the background. He still has that cape. I think he should have to give Wong that cape, the cloak. <laughs> kind of. Come on, the Sorcerer I mean, Supreme should have the flying cloak. I'm sorry. The cape but I is think his it's, friend. It's, it's, it shows him. It's it's one of those things. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a sentient cape. Like you you don't give away your your best friend. And that that cape is definitely more of a friend to him than most people. You don't because give away your best talk. friend to somebody else. I know or challenge him and it does whatever he says. But yeah, going and seeking help from somebody is just not how Doctor Strange works. And a fair bit of this of to the degree that he has an arc in this movie, a fair bit of his his arc here, including facing a version of himself who was so determined to not to ask for help that he destroyed the world and hearing about a second one who was executed for exactly that like that's all very much in character why white vision doesn't show up like i'm fine with that we have no idea what that character is at this point or like where he is or or what he feels why vision never shows up within the multiverse and why it doesn't occur to her that she could find another version of him in the same way she could find another version of the kids. That's a big hole. And I have no answer for that. And I think you're exactly right. I hate those Just kids. As- Don't you hate the kids? <laughs> They're terrible. Those little moppets. 
can't stand Oh, them. Scott. Tell me if your children disappeared, you wouldn't murder oh, a I teenager would. I would. with They'd superpowers. be worth it, though. They'd be worth it. I would upend the whole damn multiverse for, for, for my kids, but not for those kids. Those kids are horrible. <laughs> well, those kids aren't your kids. People have a tendency to like their kids more than other people's kids. They're not, even, they're not Wanda's kids. She, like, yeah, well, exactly. They're literally yeah. her kids. She she invented them. She made them up. Like, what else does a mother do? They're not that Wanda's kids. They're other Wanda's kids. Well, wow. <laughs> at this point, at this point, we're definitely splitting multiversal hairs, and uh, <laughs> things just completely start to break down. I guess one of my my big feelings here is just like a lot of this is, is just for the spectacle. You know, the, all the multiverse hopping is is for the fun of, hey, here's a, you know, good old Captain Britain or I don't think that's what they call her here. But, you know, our uh, oh Captain Carter. Here's good old Captain, Captain Carter. Carter. Yes, it's Captain Carter <laughs> uh, down comic book guy. It's it's fun to see Captain Carter. It's fun to see the the alternate version of uh, Captain Marvel. It's fun to have uh, Patrick Stewart show up, not as the previous live action X-Men uh, versions of Professor X, but as the one from the 1990s cartoon, which we know because he's got a big yellow hover chair. And when he shows up, <sighs> the musical sting from the 90s cartoon plays. And when he uses his powers, there are concentric wavy circles coming out of his forehead like it's straight up a 90s cartoon reference stuff like that is just fun and if you've got to like shovel through a whole lot of nonsense to get to that kind of fun like that's definitely a comic book movie decision to make is like it, we okay we had to bend the rules of time space causality and character uh, but we got to do this really fun thing Scott, John, Scott looks like he John was delighted Krasinski. by that. <laughs> here's John I, I Krasinski to- as uh, totally, Mr. Totally Fantastic. Got that. I totally he looks got like that he's in reference. ecstasy. Pure like, oh, cinematic no, ecstasy <laughs> over there. Like, oh, no, that's, that's, that's delightful because it's not the Patrick Stewart that I've seen in the other X-Men movies. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it is a reference to uh, a, a, a cartoon I did not watch. But I like that it's there. Um, and and, uh, and it, it seems, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm glad that everyone is here knows more about all of this stuff than I do as as usual. Uh, but maybe we should uh, take a break here and come back to something I know a little bit more about, which is Army of Darkness, uh, and we can make connections between uh, Doctor Strange uh, and the multiverse in the multiverse of madness and Army of Darkness after the break. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly. It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Now it's time for Connections, when we bring these two films together and talk about all the things they have in common. You, you know one, th- one thing they have in common? Uh, they're directed by <laughs> Sam Raimi. Uh, and, and Sam Raimi has... Well, yeah, for sure. And, and, and Sam Raimi has you know, a particular style and and i think that you don't have to squint that often or, or, or occasionally don't have to squint at all to find that style present in uh dr strange in the multiverse of madness which is 
on like virtually every <laughs> other film in the MCU, which which I think is a little bit harder to connect director with movie. I think you could make you know I mean you could make a case for Joe Johnston in uh, in uh, the first uh, Captain America. Maybe you could talk about Taika Waititi and what he brings to uh, his Thor movie, and or I guess his upcoming Thor movie as well. But there there is there is you know a, a point in multiverse of madness that is in Raimi's wheelhouse. And and I think that we've identified that point as being towards the second half um, though, you know, the sequence where they're, where they're tumbling through uh, where America and, and strange are tumbling through various uh, universes is I think a wonderful kind of Raimi esque sequence. Uh, but then once, once you get to into the, this, this uh, the dark hold, and you get and really the intensity level picks up in Doctor Strange. I mean, there's been a little bit of controversy here and there about how intense this film gets and how much it kind of edges into horror in a way that the other MCU films don't. And I think that's kind of the strength of the, of the film is is when it kind of unleashes a little bit when it has an opportunity to loosen up and just give you a lot of gags and a lot of kind of darker visual uh, effects and, and and that's kind of where the connect where where it feels a little bit like almost a de facto sequel to like a fourth you know evil dead movie i think that's kind of where this doctor strange is at its best what, what do you all think i just wanted to share a little a- anecdote uh inspired by Tasha talking about how she saw this at like a packed screening with her coworkers and, you know, a bunch of comics nerds and, you know, her freaking out about the little Easter eggs and cameos and whatnot. I saw this at a critic screening here in Michigan, which had a grand total of five people in it, mm. two of whom I believe were guests. It was <laughs> not, 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 not a lot of, not a deep film critic uh, community well, where I live. Giant house too, uh, which it was actually quite funny, but like, the only audible reactions I heard in the theater were in these very rainy moments. Bruce Campbell cameo was that brought the house down like for the four people. All seated very far away from each other. I, I should know, but it could the, the fact that I could even hear an audible response, uh, you know, is, is telling. And then like, you know, when it was over and we're watching the credits and waiting for the inevitable one to three uh, credit sequences, you know, all of the like snippets of conversation I heard, it was all just talking about Raimi, you know, like that was, I, th- I think like to anyone who has an affinity or even just a baseline knowledge of him, I would put myself more in the, the latter category. You know, I'm not like a super fan by any means, but like, I think seeing the director in a movie like this is really exciting <laughs> as, as, as Scott notes, you know, and maybe at this point in the MCU to a certain type of fan, more exciting than, you know, the black bolt uh, <laughs> making his return to, uh, to this. It was, uh, was Inhumans technically part of this MCU that, that like very brief. Who knows? I don't Who even, even know. Knows? Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe. But- but but good for Anson Mount is that Mount? Anson yeah. Mount. Mount yeah yeah good 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 for him but yeah so it is kind of a exceptional in in these in these films you know I mean I know personally I was like kind of kind of as the movie is going on and it, it is getting more sort of 
overtly Ramey-ish, I'm like leaning forward in my chair because it's like all of a sudden I'm like, wait a minute. Oh, there's a POV shot going through Wanda's house and the, the POV is kind of messing. It's like stopping and starting and messing around with those kids. That's uh, a little uh, Ramey there. And I, cause, you know, this is the first one movie he's directed in, I think, nine years. These He doesn't do a lot of stuff. And so like... these movies are to be treasured when he finally makes something and you would hate for him to waste it on something that isn't going to feel like one of his movies, which given how Marvel stuff tends to feel, you know, so similar. And I say that as someone who likes a lot of them, like I I was legitimately kind of concerned we were going to get like a faceless Sam Raimi movie, which like who wants that? But, you know, the longer it goes, I feel like the more and more it does kind of get it gets darker and and rainy year i can't find the right adjective to describe this you know we need there isn't like a you know uh kubrickian or a cohen's-esque <laughs> here it's like i don't i, I keep making things rainy-ish up but would work rainy-ish just is the right rainy-ish. one <laughs> i mean you just gotta but, like look at the vowel at the end and uh, see what tax on there but you know when I, like wanda is climbing out of a mirror and mm-hmm. uh you know and i really think that ending which i already mentioned is you know the idea of a zombie superhero <laughs> Give, who's covered in ghouls, uh, 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 giving a heartfelt speech to a earnest young superhero about like the value of believing in yourself. That is almost like an image and an idea that is so singular in terms of like all of the things that Raimi loves in one moment. Like it is almost like one of the most Raimi-ish, Raimi-esque, whatever, moments <laughs> of his entire career. Like it has, it's silly, it's scary, it's funny, it's sincere, you know, has this heartfelt belief in like the value of heroes, but it's being delivered by this ridiculous looking monster with half his teeth out of his face exposed. It is really pure Sam Raimi in that moment. And it's coming in this big Marvel machine movie. And so... To me, like that was like the single best and most exciting moment because I was like, no one else could have done that in a, in a, you know, you didn't need to know that Sam Raimi worked on this movie. Like you could have, if you didn't have his name in the beginning, you would have recognized that. Or I feel like I would have like so many of those uh, other Marvel movies. It's like you, you wouldn't know who directed them. Even when they tell you, you're like, who is, who is that? <laughs> what Brano else have they is, done? Kenneth Branagh to... It's like, yeah, oh, I, it's rec- like, I recognize that camera move from Peter's the, friends. <laughs> the cinema do Alan Taylor. It's like, who, you know, whatever. And 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 that moment really, it feels to me at least, like something that could only have come in a Sam Raimi movie. And I love that about it. That's amazing, Matt. I hate that scene. I hate it so much. <laughs> no. I, I despise it. I, I really hate uh, hero stories where it turns out that you just needed to try harder. Like the the thing that you can't do that's impossible to do, you just need to look within yourself and see why you haven't done that and then do it instead. You know, so this this uncontrollable power that she's never had any control over before, zombie Doctor Strange is like, no, it was within you all along. Like you're, you're already wearing the damn shoes, just click them together. Like it wasn't the magic feather which you dropped a while ago. Come he on. Oz, the great these are, these like are bad examples is- because, uh, well, here's the thing. These are bad examples because i like wizard of oz and dumbo but they're also good examples because those movies are are great and they're also ancient like this is how long we've been doing that in cinema and having somebody just say 
yeah, that power that you can't control, you can totally control it. Just control it. And then she's like, oh, well, why did I never try that before? Ding. Everything's solved. It's like, I don't know. I always go back to Buffy the Vampire Slayer and like fighting the super duper extra heavy powered vamps that are the worst thing ever. And she's defeated and she's defeated and she's defeated. And then eventually she realizes the problem was she needed to hit them harder. You know, like... There's something to be said in stories, in hero stories, for, like, determination and focus and will and need saving the day. Like, that is that is a very satisfying beat. But, hey, this thing that you've never tried before, just do it and it'll work out perfectly. Like, that, that always makes me roll my eyes and it makes me roll my eyes here. Even when it is coming from, like, a half-faced Doctor Strange corpse that he's puppeting around from another dimension while CGI ghouls hang off of him, which all of that is very hilarious. And definitely the, the most Sam Raimi, like, tormenting Bruce Campbell part of it all. Well, and that's the thing is, Raimi didn't write this movie you know like like when matt's talking about that scene he's talking about like the visual of it the visceralness of it i guess like like the the comedy of it you know the horror of it not the actual speech and how it fits into the story of the movie like i'm sure Raimi had you know some say and some input in terms of the the narrative of this film but talking about this connection i think it's really about the the style less than the the script, um, which uh, not that I think Raimi based on Army of Darkness would have and I guess Spider-Man 3 would have uh, been a, a, a better choice here. But I do really want to quick before we leave this, like bring the Spider-Man of it all into this, because are, are we in agreement that like this feels more Raimi-ish than his Spider-Man films? No, those were also Raimi-ish. But do they have the horror element to the extent that this does. No, um, it's in fits and starts. I mean, mm-hmm. S- Spider-Man 2 has that amazing Doc Ock sequence where the uh, arms come alive in the operating sure. room. And number three has some stuff with Venom. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, and there's some sort of like body horror to the first movie when he's getting his powers. And um, mm-hmm. there's kind of nightmare sequences a little bit. But uh, it's less horror. It's less overtly horrorish than this movie. There's a kineticism, though, that that his films share. I mean, they, you know, so so you know, you could also talk about, you know, the Quick and the Dead, for example. I mean, that's not really a horror. There's nothing really a, a horror about that. It's, just, it's his take on a western, but his take on a western is that is that it's going to have a tremendously active camera and a, a lot of humor, a lot of irreverence, and I think that is something that primarily translates here. And, and as far as like this specific film multiverse of, of of madness i think i think ju- it just story-wise it syncs up really well with army of darkness which is why we ended up choosing it over Darkman, which was my original choice for this pairing was really more based on dr strange and kind of trying to contrast those two as care as characters and just in just you know Raimi as somebody who is who you know somebody at that time was was making an original superhero movie I thought it was a kind of a nice point of contrast to Doctor Strange but but after seeing Multiverse of Madness it just had so many strong Evil Dead vibes particularly Army, Army of Darkness that um couldn't resist I had, had to make the change I mean it's all about the evil book 
Yeah, in the evil book, right? It's like, mm-hmm. oh, that's that's good, and uh, a zombie version of the of the hero, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, yeah, well, dead dead things yanking on his face and making it uh, change <laughs> shape and size in really goofy ways. One thing I re- wanted to get into too is something that Matt had brought up in the first segment on Army of Darkness, and that's the effects, because with Evil Dead and Evil Dead Two, I mean, that's all. DIY style effects that really feels handmade and, and I, I think a lot of those qualities carry over to Army of Darkness too when the effects work there which which I think Matt made a really good argument are extremely well crafted the effects in <laughs> Multiverse of Madness uh, those are MCU effects and, and, the way, and I guess the process for doing that is different the feeling of it is different it doesn't not I don't think it's crazy for me to say that it does not quite have that handcrafted feel that it feels like that element of it is a little bit more given over uh, to a, a unit a different power uh, you know and that and that affects the, the film in a, a pretty profound way am i am i wrong on that or did you see some some raminess in the actual effects work here i i think there's a pretty straight line between ash getting his face sucked into the book and coming out like beetlejuice like with it completely distorted and and changing shape and dr strange getting sucked through the multiverse and having his head come apart in like cgi squares i think that's the exact same mentality it's just coming from like very different budgets and and very different you know uh, technologies essentially but in terms of Here's a a dead rotting guy that's uh, being played by the hero and he's got like dead things yanking on him like in both movies. I I think that it's the exact same thing in both of these films. It's just in one of them, he's got a budget and it's got to look like a Marvel movie. And in another one, he doesn't. And he he wants it to look like a Harryhausen movie. But I, I, I think it's the same mentality. I think it's still very, very connected. But why? Why? 30 years later 30 uh, uh, and with you know god knows how much how many more times the budget does it look so much worse <laughs> than army of darkness <laughs> to me like where i find i don't i don't know the answer to that question but I, to me, the, where question. i where i see the raimi visually especially in this movie is in the the use of the camera specifically the moving camera you know, the shots where Strange wakes up in his bed and the camera does like a full 360 as he's waking up and leaping forward. Or when, you know, there's shots where people are kind of like sitting up and the camera tilts with them. Like, I, I, it's not as the camera is not as nimble as in, you know, Army of Darkness. I don't think they ever strapped a, a, a camera to a two by four and ran it <laughs> through a green screen, perhaps to the movie's detriment. But, <laughs> but you do occasionally feel that playfulness and that sort of visual visceral moving camera which just you know in 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 a movie like army of darkness i think just adds so much tactility and you just feel like just everything about it just feels more alive the way that the camera is just constantly in motion in that movie the snap zooms the way when someone points at someone the the camera zooms in on their hand so the hand is gigantic like it's just you know there is a playfulness to that that maybe you know maybe that's less present in doctor strange especially in the action scenes just because you can't like improvise maybe and maybe that's the thing that's missing somewhat is that you know the evil dead 
ethos is like, yeah, let's stick a camera on a bicycle and see what happens. Let's stick it on a two by four and run it around and see what happens. You can't really leave those kind of things to chance with uh, these kind of movies. They're all storyboarded and made so meticulously that um, any sort of camera movement has to be planned so carefully in advance and probably makes things even more difficult for the visual effects artist. So you have to do those things maybe more sparingly or more calculatedly, and it loses something in that translation to a big budget movie versus something more run and gun and small. But, you know, I think Tasha mentioned some visuals that are very reminiscent of Army of Darkness and other Raimi movies. And I did, again, in in, in some of the moments where, you know, like that POV camera in Wanda's house and, you know, or other Wanda's house where the camera is kind of creeping around. It's getting that old deadite, that old deadite magic. <laughs> uh, it's got me in its spell again, just a little. It's not long. You don't get a ton of it, but like it's not a full fledged, uh, you know, steady cam minute long take. But you get you get little hints of it here or there. Which, again, compared to some of the other Marvel movies and how similar and same they all feel, I, I, I very much welcomed those flashes. I also reject your uh, your semi-rhetorical question as uh, inherently biased, Scott. Like, What's that? Oh, uh, why does everything in Army of Darkness look so much better than uh, everything in, in Multiverse of Madness? Like, I think the plunge through different universes where they're turning into yeah, paint. And, uh, no, that's neat. It's neat. That's, a, that's, that's, like, that's like shot-wise my favorite in the movie. That's, that's, that's neat. I also nice think it's, uh, it's while I don't think it makes a damn lick of sense, when the souls of the damned, whatever the hell that means in Marvel, apparently apparently there's a heaven and hell in Marvel, which implies <laughs> a, a god and a devil and an afterlife and just a whole bunch of other nonsense. Whatever. The, ar- the army of the dead comes after Doctor Strange because he broke a rule that was definitely a rule about crossing dimensions in order to possess your own body. Very bad stuff. But the point is, he ends up turning them into a cloak of angry dead people and using them to fly around. I think that looks cooler than, like, Bruce Campbell yeah. lying on his face in, no. a, in a sound stage while no. people poke him with skeleton <laughs> no, sticks. No, 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 we're not doing this. No. I... I but wow. I mean, what about stuff like the like the your luddite is showing, Scott? The, uh, no, but it's great. I mean, that stuff is uh, it's unimpeachable. Uh, but like, but like, I impeach. I'm moved to but impeach. You don't, you don't yawn your. You're not yawning your way through, say, uh, Scarlet Witch attacking the like the big sequence where she's attacking the Wong and his you know in the fortress right like that doesn't I bore didn't you to yawn death. my way through that but it was it was primarily because there's that moment in the middle of all of that where she's throwing glowing cgi frap at them and yeah. they're shooting cgi weapons at uh-huh. her and blah 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 and then she just decides that the the solution to this is to get into somebody's head and manipulate it and she slides out from behind to somebody in a really creepy shot that could be done practically and i kind of don't think it was because it looks very digital but like that to me she does that again later when she meets up with professor x and uh tells him what she thinks about what he's been up to and i think it's effective both times and i think it's a very raimi touch this this moment of somebody appearing out of nowhere in a very eerie way 
And like there are just like little ghoulish, scary, as uh, once again, sadistic touches throughout Multiverse of Madness that feel very auteurish. And to me, the dealing with Wanda's mind control specifically in that visual way uh, is both very Raimi-ish and just makes it a lot more interesting than what kind of becomes the standard superhero movie one cgi thing bashes against another cgi thing uh, a whole lot that we get so often right but, so, but the how about the opening sequence that's bad too that's bad the dream sequence it's not a dream that's that looks terrible right eh, yeah and, and I mean, like as far as Rainey's i thought concerned, it looked i thought it looked pretty crummy i was yeah. a little it, nervous it, it was fake. almost like it was like Rainey might as well be in cancun when that thing is shot like what does he even <laughs> do what does he even what role does he even have to play when when they're making doing stuff like that i don't know but that's i'm, I'm grinding an axe here i wanted I, this was something that that genevieve had brought up because we are dealing with sequels here army of darkness is a is a, is a second sequel um, this is a sequel that is connected to a bunch of other stuff. <laughs> so, so, so what? What's uh, what is what has changed? What about the sequelness of these movies? Well, also to connect it to the Raimi-ness of it, one is Raimi doing a sequel to his own films, and one is him not. No, oh, right, but, sure. And I just, <laughs> I was just thinking of in the first part of this conversation when we talked about how Army of Darkness just like gives you like a three minute recap of everything you need to know, which is not very much. It shows you scenes from the movie. Where in like contrasting it with this, like if you haven't seen WandaVision, like you're kind of SOL <laughs> here, you know, or, right. yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and like this is, this is what Marvel does. This is like the great, I don't want to say trick they've pulled, but you know, what what they've managed to pull off is is kind of incredible in terms of making fans need to see to consume all these other pieces of marvel to get like the full experience you know and contrast with army of darkness which like i think we kind of uh, agreed that it does stand on its own you, you know even if you haven't seen the the previous two evil evil deads yeah but um, only because it includes a, a montage boiling down hey here's everything important that happened like but it needs if, to if, though if Multiverse right. of Madness started with, here's what you missed on WandaVision, like, you'd have a, a better footing in the movie. I mean, honestly, I would lo- I would have loved it if Multiverse of Madness started with a, like, WandaVision-style TV style, like, previously on as sort of, like, a connective tissue uh, there. But it's all, like outside of the film you as, know? as a movie I... person do i like having to have watched a television program in order to understand what is happening in a in a, in a movie i do not i, I do <laughs> not like that that is I, not, I mean, I, that is I, not I, a like good development you... for me as we discussed like last week like i had zero problems having army of darkness be my first evil dead uh movie and, uh, you know, yeah, it has three minutes of catching you back up. But, I, you know, it's like it's almost irrelevant. It's just sort of setting the table, I guess. Forget about like imagine not having seen WandaVision. Like imagine not having seen some of the previous movies. There's like tw- 28 or whatever now. It's just mm-hmm. like it's like inconceivable that someone could just walk in cold to this movie and kind of like get it. It's uh, I almost would be fascinated to do that as mm-hmm. like an experiment, like just pluck someone who's never seen a Marvel movie and just be like, okay, watch this and make sense of it and try to explain to me afterwards, like, what is going on and what what they would think of it. It definitely is a different uh, strategy, certainly, of like, 
you know, Army of... I mean, right down to the fact that it's not called Evil Dead 3, it's Army of Darkness, you know? Like, it doesn't necessarily signify outwardly. You have to really know that it's an army, uh, an Evil Dead movie in a way. Like, uh, you know, like I, I think I said on the previous episode, like, I'm not even sure I knew about that it was an Evil Dead movie fully in, until afterwards. Whereas here, it's Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and... You re- you really need to know a lot of stuff to uh, follow this follow this movie, or to at least to really like get it, you know, like WandaVision especially, you know, like that's pretty important, I would say, to the to the overall film and 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 enjoying it and processing it. So and you know, like we we're saying, like that's the point, like that's Marvel's whole model is that it's not you have you have to see everything you've got to follow everything you've got to stay uh, you know up on this stuff because it all matters and if you don't watch this show or that movie well when when they all cross over in the next movie or the next show you're going to be you're going to be out of luck come to trying to put my finger on why it is that I enjoy that with Marvel and it it irks me when Star Wars does it like Star Wars has gone to the same sort of place where like, hey, in this movie, C-3PO shows up and he's got a red arm. We're not going to explain that. We are going to make a big point of it. Like the character's going to talk about it, but we're not going to explain why it's important. And in fact, it isn't important. And it turns out that in order to understand that, you have to have read the tie-in comic that they put together for it, explaining why he has <laughs> a red arm, which doesn't make a damn bit of difference. When General Grievous first shows up in the live action movies, he's given pretty much no introduction and you're supposed to understand why a robot has asthma and uh, and like four lightsabers and a serious attitude problem. And it's because, you know, they had set him up elsewhere. So like that kind of thing annoys me with with Star Wars. Oh, the same thing with Saw Gerrera. Like he's just not a character in the the movie where he shows up uh, Rogue One because he was he was set up elsewhere and having finding him at the end of his arc and as a guy who's just like, uh, hi, I'm here. I'm tired and angry and jaded from the battles you know nothing of and that we will not speak of. I have reached the end of my line and here's gonna, here's gonna be my dramatic death. And you're like, who are you? And I have to believe that my experience as a pretty much movies only Star Wars person, at least up until uh, the Disney Plus series, is what somebody who tries to be a casual Marvel, Marvel viewer would feel like. I don't even like even if you had seen WandaVision and had seen Avengers Infinity War and had the setup for, you know, all of Wanda's grief and, and going bad and had seen Doctor Strange one and understood like why he's worked up about Christine and who Wong is and what all this stuff is going on. If you don't really know much about comics, I just don't know how you process oh my God, here's the Illuminati. Like, here are all of these characters drawn from other things. It was just so clear that my theater was engaged and excited and and thought all of that was amazing. Like, the house came down when Black Bolt showed up. But if if none of these people mean anything to you, what does it what does it mean when it's just like, hey, here's a bunch of people. They we're not going to spend any time with them and they're all going to be messily dead soon. Like... All yeah. of these these movies are meant for for people who love these movies specifically more and more and more. 
<laughs> I agree completely with what, with what you just said. <laughs> Genevieve, can you can you cut that and strike a print of it that I can just like play back whenever I want? I just want a soundboard of Scott agrees with Tasha. <laughs> we, well, we already have the a soundboard for the Scott Tobias noise of disgust. Uh, mm. So maybe I, we can we can build it out. Uh, Always my favorite. <laughs> Sometimes I just like to imagine going back in in time and visiting myself as a 14-year-old who went to extreme, almost like espionage lengths to hide the fact that I read comic books from everyone in my life, to tell that person, you know, they're not only going to make movies out of these things. Someday, Black Bolt is going to come on the screen and the entire audience is going to cheer. I I just would love to know what I would have thought at that age. You know, I would have thought that I was uh, lying to myself, certainly. I would have not believed. I would have thought it was some sort of Raimi-esque Book of the Dead trick on me, I'm sure. I would not have bought it. So let's try to wrap this up by kind of going back to the beginning and where things started, which is which is Bruce Campbell. Uh, Bruce Campbell is the uh, lead in uh, Army of Darkness, and he has a cameo in this film, in, in Multiverse of Madness. And, uh, and how does that all kind of tie together for you? And what, what, what sort of feelings did that, I guess, ev- ev- evoke uh, seeing uh, Campbell in this movie? I gotta say, I did not recognize him when he showed up for the, the first cameo. And I I thought the whole thing seemed weirdly out of place. I was just like, oh, no, you know, Dr. Strange <laughs> is kind of a jerk, but cursing this guy to hit himself continuously for for three weeks and like shrugging off the fact like he'll you, you would die if you were if you were hitting yourself, if you were knocking yourself down every three seconds, you would die. And it, he's just so flippant about it. He's so like, eh, it might wear off, uh, whatever. It makes so much more sense when you think about it in terms of of Matt's feeling that the entire world just lives to punish Bruce Campbell. <laughs> like, Doctor Strange being more flippant about hurting people than usual, him, him not caring if uh, Bruce Campbell beats himself up makes so much more sense within the parameters of the Bruce Campbell is the world's butt monkey uh, theory. <laughs> I didn't get the joke until the button on the end of the movie when he comes back. And then I was just like, how the hell did I miss that? I was very disappointed in myself. I've seen a few people online suggest that Bruce Campbell cameo should replace Stan Lee cameo now that Stan Lee is no longer with us. (laughs) I'd I'd be kind of on board for that. You know, Bruce Campbell shows up and uh, gets hurt in some ridiculous slapstick way in every movie. I'd, I'd do that. That's Does he have to play the pizza papa or is he playing other parts? Should the pizza papa become the new Stanley? Different different universe, uh, okay. different character, different character every single time. Okay. Wow. We're poked in the eye by something different every single time. So you I, were... I was imagining I was imagining like is this you know uh is the pizza papa this ver- this universe's version of Ash, you know, not be- not because I was I'm and an, well I am a dork and I'm but I wasn't like Oh, I wonder. It was more like because I, I always love the fact about Army of Darkness that, you know, that ending, which we didn't talk about that much, but, you know, that he winds up back in the present. But, but basically, like he he leaves this essentially being the king and the coolest guy in the past to go be a stock boy at a, <laughs> at a, at a box chain store. Like that's the yes. choice he makes again, speaking speaking to the stupidity of Ash. 
if you take uh, him at his word on that, which I really don't think you're supposed to. Like, he's a he's a dumb blowhard. Like his insistence that uh, that he was going to be the king doesn't really jibe with a a medieval land that doesn't even seem to have a king. Like even Arthur isn't King Arthur. He's Lord Arthur. Well, at least he could have stayed with Sheila. Instead of going back to be a, a a lonely stock boy. What, with the she-bitch? I mean, <laughs> I don't know why he would have wanted to stay with her. He he never seemed to like her. Even when he was kissing her, he didn't seem to like her much. Give me so, some sugar, baby. That didn't, uh, I don't know. <laughs> it, no, it's a fun line, and it's certainly a, a very quoted line, but it, it doesn't speak to to any kind of like deep emotional connection that would make him want to give up the deep the 20th century connection. and like I don't know. you know gasoline of, for his uh his chainsaw hand i just get a kick out of him like being like well gotta go back to my exciting life as a stock boy okay, he loves smart <laughs> and so i just i always th- i just think that uh you could see that guy winding up being a pizza a guy selling pizza on the street also like that doesn't seem that far-fetched to me but do you I mean, I, that guy also used to be the king of another dimension and he he came back to that earth in order to, to sell, be a pizza to guy sell pizzas yeah <laughs> yep but would shop you smart be a, shop pizza mart would you rather be a king shop pizza cart and you know a king <laughs> in, in the miserable congratulations <laughs> well done would you rather be king in the miserable realm of you know 1300s or would you rather be, you know, a pauper in uh, in the land of, you know, where where the Mexican pizza is coming back uh, to Taco Bell? I mean, that sounds to me like a better fate. I would rather See, have the humbler job. Uh, these are with, the, with these, these are the serious, weighty themes of Army of Darkness. This is, the, this <laughs> we, is what we were we looking have for. Finally, we uh, have finally it. found it. We finally cracked the Raimi code uh and with that uh army of darkness is streaming on hbo max it's rentable on the usual services it's available on blu-ray and dvd doctor strange in the multiverse of madness is in theaters now that's it for this edition of the next picture show but we'll be back next week with a new pairing tasha want to set us up for our episodes releasing on may 31st and june 7th Okay, so if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a fairly serious fan of cinema. And when I tell you that half of our next pairing is going to be the Disney Plus movie Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers, you're probably going to have questions. But hear me out on this one. The movie is a live action meta story that takes place in an L.A. where animated characters rub shoulders with humans and cartoons are just live action movies with toon characters against painted sets. There's a conspiracy aimed at the Toon inhabitants of L.A., and Chip and Dale, former TV partners who've fallen out, are the Toon characters who need to go outside the system to solve it, with the help of a disgraced human cop. Oh, and it's absolutely stuffed with familiar and obscure animated characters just casually walking around to give the world some shape. The director, Lonely Island's Akiva Schaefer, who also directed our beloved music industry spoof pop star, Never Stop, Never Stopping, and the writers, Dan Greger and Doug Mand of How I Met Your Mother, are clearly following the footsteps of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and they acknowledge it to the point where Roger himself is one of the many characters who shows up for a cameo, which suggests this story takes place in the same world many decades later. Talking about Chip and Dale, Rescue Rangers, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit together seemed like a no-brainer. So that's exactly what we're doing next time on The Next Picture Show. For now, we welcome your feedback on Army of Darkness, Doctor Strange, and the Multiverse of Madness, and anything else film-related you'd like to talk about. Email us at comments at nextpictureshow.net and come talk to us at Patreon, where you'll find feedback, letters, and discussion. Before we close out this week's episode, where can we find everyone these days? Tasha Robinson. 
I am the film and streaming editor at Polygon.com. You can find me uh, writing a fair bit about WandaVision and Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, uh, including talking to the screenwriter about the the big question of whether Wanda Maximoff is dead. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Tosh Robinson. Genevieve? I am the TV editor at Vulture.com, and you can find me on uh, various social media channels at Genevieve Kosky. Matt Singer, where are you these days? Where can people find your work? Oh, I'm working over at Screen Crush, ScreenCrush.com, and uh, my Twitter account is at Matt Singer. No, wait, wait. You don't want to plug your, your book about superheroes on the podcast about superheroes? I mean, it's not about Doctor Strange. Mm, in another universe it is but uh. okay well if people want to read my my spider-man book it is available yes and, and other than that one lady who didn't like that how it was shipped it has remarkable <laughs> reviews on amazon and uh it's called uh marvel's spider-man from amazing to spectacular the definitive comic art collection and i did not come up with that title scott <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Scott underscore Tobias. Uh, you can find my work in the New York Times, in Guardian, in Vulture, uh, The Ringer, and other fine publications. Uh, uh, and a, a great deal of my work these days is for the newsletter that uh, I compose with our absent uh, co-host Keith Phipps. That's The Reveal, um, the, the reveal.substack.com. As for Keith Phipps, you can find him on Twitter at, at kphips3000 and uh, his work also appears in the ringer uh, gq uh, entertainment weekly um, and uh, other such publications uh, stay updated on the next picture show at nextpictureshow.net and on twitter at nextpicturepod get bonus content and open discussion at patreon.com slash nextpictureshow and as always we appreciate your rating and reviews on apple podcasts or wherever you listen to the show Thanks to Dan the Baked Jakes for his assistance producing this podcast. The Next Picture Show is proud to be part of the film spotting family of podcasts. Please tune in next time. Believe it, man.